Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Reasons to Believe. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 5, verses 24 to 30, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message called Jesus and the Dead. I recently read an article in a newspaper, and it was entitled, Do We Really Want to Live Forever? And then in brackets, ish, forever-ish. You know, the article contained a quote from a woman named Aubrey de Grey, who thinks that the first human beings who will live to a thousand years already walk among us. You know, that meant a breakthrough in longevity is going to happen during our lifetime. She thought we were on the verge of amazing genetic advancements and that we will soon no longer fear death. And then immediately after the quote in the newspaper came another quote from a man named Paul Root Wolpe. He's a chief bioethicist for NASA, and he called that claim that we would live to be a thousand, and I quote, the scientifically unsupported assumptions of an evangelist for a religious vision of utopian health. Well, I assume Wolpe is less than convinced. Well, the article, however, went on to say that life expectancy had doubled in the U.S., over the last 200 years. And by the way, life expectancy in the U.S., well, that's 78.7 years. And just to gloat a little, please forgive me, but it's 82.1 years in Canada. So just for being a Canadian, well, you get to live three and a half years longer. But that's not to say that life expectancy will double again in the next 200 years. And that's true for all sorts of reasons. You know, for one, life expectancy has not doubled on the top end. Rather, what has changed life expectancy is the eradication of childhood disease and death. See, we're not living longer. Rather, in truth, more of us are living a full life than ever before, and that has skewed the average. But at the risk of belaboring the point, death will not be defeated so easily. That's because death came into the world through sin. We might be patting ourselves on the back and telling ourselves that we can defeat death itself, but it will not be so. You know, even if we succeed in living to 1,000 years, the startling incline in population and the startling incline in our ability to make weapons of war, well, if you think about it, you might remember Genesis chapter 6, when human wickedness was increasing dramatically, that God took steps to limit the life of human beings to 120 years. And interestingly enough, there are all manner of geneticists today who argue that we simply can't stop the aging process and that even if we continue to increase the lifespan of human beings, we will come to a natural ceiling. And that being what it is, John chapter 5 verses 24 to 30 speaks about Jesus' mastery over death. And it is this that greatly interests me and and it really should interest you as well. So let's read our text. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself." and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, you might notice, if you're paying a close attention to what we've read, that there's a kind of an overlapping of two great events. That is, in this teaching of Jesus, the future and the present seem to overlap. What I mean is that the day of the Lord, when the dead will rise, and the present day, in which we're now living, in some fashion, those two eras have in some manner been merged. I mean, think of it this way. See, I understand that there is a water spider. I think it's in Africa. It builds a nest to hatch her eggs under the water. See, what it will do is it'll do a backflip on top of the water, and by that maneuver will trap a tiny bubble of air in its abdomen. And then it swims under the water with that trapped bubble of air, and it releases that bubble underneath a submerged branch or, or something like that. It then repeats that little trick all day long, ever increasing the pocket of air under the water until the pocket of air is large enough to lay her eggs away from natural predators. But I use this illustration to give you the idea that in this illustration, the environment from above has invaded the environment from below. And some of the creatures who are born below actually belong to the environment that is from above. And that, I think, is a great illustration of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the environment from below, which is the environment of death. Again, let me use an illustration. Most of us have been to funerals, and, and sometimes in a funeral, we'll hear someone say words that sound like this. You know, our loved one has passed from the land of the living. But listen, it's just not true. This is not the land of the living. This is the land of the dying. Yeah, we do live in this environment from below, but not long. Life is short and, and death is sure. We may delay it, but we all know that we're delaying the inevitable. No, no, no. We are in the land of the dying. But in the age to come, well, that's the land of the living. And with that in mind, and with my water spider illustration, listen again to verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Notice that Jesus does not say that whoever believes in him will, will have eternal life, that is, after this life is over. Rather, with faith in Christ, the realm from above already invades the realm from below. And just in case we miss it, what he means by eternal life, notice carefully, that Jesus is speaking about something far more valuable than life that never ends. Notice he defines eternal life as that kind of life that does not come into judgment. So we might put it this way. The believer in Jesus is not ushered into God's courtroom where charges are laid and were condemned. Instead, the believer in Jesus already leaves the courtroom acquitted. No charges are brought. Eternal life, then, not only means we go on living forever, it also means we're absolved of our guilt. But here's the most precious truth. This life is not waiting for us when we die. It has already invaded our world and our lives now. We've already passed from death to life. 
Look again at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. And notice again the two things superimposed. You know, first, Jesus says that an hour is coming. And so that means that Jesus does believe in a future event when the dead are raised. So Jesus is not teaching that that everything about eternal life is already here. I mean, how can it be? You know, we may believe in Jesus, and yet these these bodies of ours, they get old and they die just as fast as the bodies of those who do not believe in Jesus. No, no, Jesus believed and taught that we are to expect an hour to come. Listen to how he taught his disciples when it's recorded in Matthew 25, 31 to 32. There he said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Or listen to the very words that Jesus speaks as is recorded in the passage we're studying right now. Look ahead to John 5, 28. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now, Jesus did not believe that the future was wiped away. See, Jesus was a futurist, if you will. He predicted a future when death would be no more. He knew that this was not that day, but the hour is still coming. But Jesus, while he said that the hour is coming, also announced that the hour is here. Again, my image of the water spider is helpful. In Jesus' own thinking, he was announcing that the future had invaded the present. Well, think about that in the context of chapter 5. You know, the chapter begins with Jesus coming to a paralyzed man and asking him, do you want to be healed? And then in an instant, the environment from below is rolled back as as the man's arms and legs immediately become strong. And in an instant, after 38 years of paralysis, this man jumps up, takes up his mat, and, and he goes home. See, the real question is so much more than, how did he do that? The real question is, what does that actually mean? And according to Jesus, the future hour has already begun to invade this present earth so that the future hour of eternal life has entered into this realm from below. Join Dr. John Newfelt every week on our new Truth and Life Today television program as he teaches and invites special guests into conversation about some of the most important questions of life and faith. In the weeks ahead, special guests joining Dr. Neufeld will discuss medically-assisted dying, addiction, what it means to be human, loss, and grief. Join us every Friday evening on Joy TV, on the Bell Satellite Network, online at truthandlifetoday.ca, or via podcast or YouTube. All the information you need to view upcoming episodes or previous episodes can be found at truthandlifetoday.ca or by calling us at Back to the Bible Canada at 1-800-663-2425. And remember that all the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada are dependent upon your financial gifts. So if you value this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or online at backtothebible.ca to make your donation today. Jesus announced that the hour is coming, it is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Of course, he meant that in the future an hour is coming, 
when those who have believed in him will die. And, and after they die, they will hear his voice and they will live. You know, as a pastor, I've stood beside more than one dying believer. And I've always reminded them that as this world fades and as the voices in this room become fainter and as death closes in around them, when it might seem that all hope is lost, then they will hear a very strong voice. The voice of Jesus will say, live. But as we've noted, Jesus said that the hour is also now here. He meant by that that our spiritual state is as dead as a dead body. But when he speaks to the spiritually dead, well, men like Nicodemus, the Pharisee that we read about in chapter 3, or or the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, or the royal official in Herod's court also in chapter 4, in each case, he spoke to people who had been until that moment unresponsive to God. And as he spoke, they came to life. They lived. They believed. They believed because in this hour, he had spoken their dead spirits to life. And that's the calling of all who hear this text. Do you believe? Have you heard the voice of Jesus? And have you already crossed over as your dead heart leapt to life and became alive to God? You know, if not, hear Christ now. Believe his word now and move from the land of the dying to the land of the living right now. So let's move to verse 26. Notice that the verse begins with the word for or because. You know, verse 26 is vital because we should know that this verse explains who it is that gives us life. You know, it might be that you're hearing this and you're wondering if all of this is really true. I mean, how can I know that Jesus indeed has the power over death? So let's reread verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So stop with that phrase, life in himself. So what does that mean? Well, if you think about it, you might remember that the life that you have can't possibly be defined as life in himself. I mean, think about life as existing in one of two planes. I call one uh, derived life. Now, what I mean is that your life is derived from factors that don't exist in yourself, but rather by factors that exist outside of yourself. And so your life was derived from your parents and was dependent upon your father's sperm penetrating your mother's egg. But of course, the life of your parents was also derived from your grandparents and so on. But because you know that this can't go on indefinitely, a little thought tells you that all of this was dependent on an action from the Creator. It's the most obvious of all observations to say that something simply can't come from nothing. And that's why tracing cause and effect back, we all know you can't do it indefinitely. Somewhere there must be an uncreated Creator, the uncaused cause, a a wellspring from which all things flow. And so, as I've said, there are two kinds of life. The first is derived life, and the second, well, it's non-derived life. That is, this kind of life is not derived from anything. It's not dependent on any factors. It's what Jesus called life in himself. It's life that exists not by anything. It's the only kind of life that is truly life. And so, Jesus says, as the Father has this kind of life, So he has granted the Son to have the very same kind of life. But does that sound strange to our ears? 
If it's non-derived life, to say then that the Father has granted non-derived life to the Son, well, that sounds like a logical contradiction. I mean, that's because putting things that way makes it sound like the, the Son's life is dependent on the Father's gift to him. But then it's dependent life and not life in itself. I hope you see that. Now, all of that hangs upon seeing the very heart of what we read in the Gospel of John. You remember John chapter 1, verse 4? You know, speaking about Jesus, it says, in him was life. You know, the life, says John, originated in Jesus and not in another factor. He was not given life. He is life. Okay, but how has the Father granted the Son this life? Well, here I think we're called to go back to, well, John chapter 3, verse 35. There we read, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Now here, something we should ask. When is it that the Father gave the Son everything? Now, from our finite way of thinking, he must have given the Son everything at some point in time. And if that's true, that would mean that before that time, well, then the Son didn't have everything. But that would be wrong. See, do you understand this? John is speaking to us in eternal terms. The Father has eternally given all things to the Son, not at some point in time. And so just as the Son was eternally begotten of the Father, and just as the Father eternally gave the Son all things, so the Father has eternally given the Son life. Or to put it another way, there never was a time when the Father did not give the Son life. Is your head spinning now? Well, if it's not, it should be. God should be greater than our ability to comprehend. But look, don't miss this. The point here is simply this. The Son has the exact same kind of life the Father has. And that means, ready for it? Listen, that means just as life is dependent on the Father, so also all life is dependent on the Son. Imagine it this way. How is it that you came to be? I mean, at one point in time, you didn't exist. And yet today, as you listen to my voice, you exist. How is that possible? It's possible because Jesus, who is life, called you into being. Your life is completely dependent on him. Well then, following that, how is it possible that you should live after you die? Well, the answer is, it's just as possible that you should live after you die than that you came into being in the first place. Everything is dependent upon Jesus willing it. See, don't you see, Jesus has now told us how it is that we can know that eternal life is dependent on him. If this earthly life is dependent on him, how much more the life to come? I wonder how easy it is to forget that. You know, many people, perhaps even most people, believe they're in control of their own lives. You know, we plan future events as if we know that we're going to be there to enjoy those future events. And we tell ourselves that there are some things we'd never allow to happen as if we really could prevent those things from happening. And then we take out loans from the bank, assuming that we're going to be healthy enough to continue to make the money to pay back those loans. See, we act with a self-confidence that belies the fact that we are dependent life. We lie to ourselves and will not come to terms with the fact that our life has always been in the hands of the one who gives us the permission to live. We are in control of nothing. 
but he who is life in himself is in control of everything, and that everything includes the last judgment, when we must take a stand before him. Look, look again at verses 27 to 29. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. God the Father has eternally given God the Son the power, not just over the lives and deaths of every single human being, but also the power over their judgment. The one who gave us life is also the one who will judge how we have lived that life. And that, of course, means that we're never at a place where our lives are not directly accountable to him. And this now is the story of Jesus and the dead. In that sense, Jesus' relationship to the dead is no different than Jesus' relationship to the living. Both the dead and the living are dependent on him. That's why, even if you should commit suicide today, you're still accountable to him. You can't live without his permission, and you can't die without it. Your final judgment will be dependent on him. So let me then come back again to where I began. I spoke of those who are confident that we can increase our lifespan to a thousand years. I told you then that I believe that those kinds of claims are really based on, you know, a kind of junk science, but all that being put aside, consider the evidence. It was not technology that brought you into being, and it's not technology that will save you from death in the last judgment. Your life has always been dependent on him. And since this is undeniably true, does it not seem to you that we need to hear his voice today and receive from his hand the most amazing gift of all, the gift of eternal life, free from judgment, free into his loving hands? John, great message. I have a quick question. Isn't the control factor really the primary issue for our culture? On one hand, we want ultimate control, but on the other hand, we don't have any control. <laughs> you know, that's so true, Ben. One of my favorite sayings is, life is what happens when we're making other plans. Uh, but I think it's probably said wrong. I think God's purposes are what happens while we are making our own plans. God's purposes can't be defeated. God's life can't be defeated. Uh, and so it's wonderful to finally come to that place that my life, my future, my everything is in the hands of God and that we find that I mean, not to be, you know, an intrusion, but this is welcome. This is, this is what we really want. Uh, how delightful then to rest in the will of God. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us here again tomorrow as we have our concluding message for reasons to believe as we look at John chapter 5, verses 30 to 47, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Laugh Again with Phil Calloway will be celebrating its fifth anniversary in 2019. One way we'll be doing that is by inviting you to join us for the Laugh Again fifth anniversary Caribbean cruise aboard the Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Seas. From February 3rd to 10th, join us for a week of laughter, fellowship, and spiritual refreshment. Enjoy music and worship with our special musical guests and morning devotions with Isaac Dagno, leader of In Doubt Ministries. Is it time for a family vacation, a getaway with friends, or time to simply kick back and enjoy all the sights and sounds of the Caribbean? Well, join Phil Calloway and friends this coming February 3rd to 10th for a vacation of a lifetime. 
For more information, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or check out laughagain.ca. Laugh Again, truth bringing laughter to life.